Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys here today. It's so good to be together. I want to welcome all of you, especially if you happen to be visiting with us. And I need to say a couple quick things before I get into the sermon. Uh, First, I want to thank Nathan for being here and sharing about Camp Northward. Uh, Over the course of my life, I've seen God do amazing things at church camp. And so I'm really glad that Plum Creek has a growing partnership with Camp Northward. I'm also, I love the fact that I get to lead Parent and Me Camp. I've done this for several years now. And let me just say, if you are a parent with a child in elementary school, or if you're a grandparent or aunt, uncle, etc., I want to personally invite you to come to Parent and Me. Uh, This is just a -a one-of-a-kind experience. You will build great memories with your child. You'll also be equipped to pass your faith down to the next generation. It's just a a great experience. And Parent Me happens over a weekend, so schedule-wise, it's very doable. If you have any questions about Parent Me, reach out. I'd love to see you there. Now, there's one more thing I need to mention. Uh, Back in February... Plum Creek took up a special offering to support the New Hope Center. Uh, New Hope is a local ministry here in Kentucky. Uh, They do a lot of great work for God's kingdom. Uh, They reach out to young women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy. And really, they just show the love of Christ to moms and dads and babies, both born and unborn. And we love what they're doing. So we did something called a baby bottle campaign. Many of you participated in this. You, you got a, an empty baby bottle. You took that home and you filled it with spare change or bills or checks. And then we brought those things back and turned them in. And I heard from New Hope this week. And after all those pennies and nickels and everything else was counted up, the total offering ended up at $7,095.60. Now, Allie Henderson from New Hope, she reached out to me and gave me a message to pass on. She said, this is awesome and such a huge blessing. We are so grateful for your support. So please thank your church family for being such generous givers. I also want to say thanks because I know that God will use this offering in a big way for his kingdom. All right, so it's time to get back to God's kingdom story. As many of you know, we've been traveling through the Bible. We're taking several months to look at this big story from creation to Christ. And we've covered a lot of ground so far. We took about two months to go through the Old Testament. And then last week, we moved into the New Testament. And I love the New Testament because that's where Jesus shows up. And this is such a good way to spend our time, what we're doing right now. Just looking at Scripture and getting a better understanding of Jesus. Because you know, not everyone has that understanding. I'm sure a lot of you remember a guy named Larry King. Uh, He actually died a couple years ago. Um, But he was well known for hosting a show on CNN called Larry King Live. And over the years, he interviewed thousands of famous people, um, politicians, athletes, celebrities, you name it. But before he passed away, someone came to Larry with a very interesting question. They said, what if you had the chance to interview God? 
What's the one question you would ask him? Like I said, that's, that's really interesting, especially when you consider the fact that Larry King was an atheist. He grew up Jewish, but uh, over time, he just really struggled with the problem of suffering. He asked questions like, why did God allow my dad to die? Why wouldn't God prevent natural disasters like the tornadoes in Mississippi this week or, or the earthquake in Turkey earlier in the year? And people gave Larry answers to those kinds of questions, but none of them satisfied him. So, what would he say? What would he have said if he had the chance to ask God one, one question? This is really interesting. In his words, he said, if I landed an interview with God, I'd ask him one simple question. Do you have a son? Now, I don't know if he was being serious when he asked that question, but whether he was or not, he's, he's on to something here. Because if the creator of the universe really did have a son, and if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that changes everything. Now, last week, we talked about the identity of Jesus. We looked at some of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, and we saw that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies, which is amazing because there are hundreds of them. Jesus is the Messiah. That's the bottom line. And do you remember what that word Messiah means? It means anointed one or chosen one or king. And the biblical prophets said that the Messiah would be a great king, but not just any king, the king of all kings. He would deliver God's people. He would bring down justice against evildoers. And he would establish this kingdom that would never end. However, during the time when Jesus was here on earth, many of the Jews were pretty confused about the Messiah's identity, including his own disciples. But one day, the Apostle Peter had a moment of clarity. I shared this last week. Jesus was talking with his disciples and he said, who do you say that I am? Or who do other people say that I am? And the disciples said, well, people say a lot of things. Some say you're John the Baptist, back from the dead. Others say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus put the disciples on the spot, and this is when he said, who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter spoke up. Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, we need to, we need to notice there are two big claims here. First, Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah, this anointed one, the chosen one, uh, this king who has been appointed by God for a special purpose. Now, that's very significant, but you could actually be uh, this special chosen one and still be a human being. But Peter didn't stop there. He went on and he added the second title, the son of the living God. Now, that is a huge claim. When you read through the Gospels and somebody refers to Jesus as the Son of God, uh, that's a very big deal. When, when you see that title, uh, don't think of it like, hey, we're all God's children 
And Jesus just happens to be one of those children. He is a son, a son of God. No, that, that's not it at all. This statement is way bigger than that. When the Jewish religious leaders heard this title, they, they understood exactly what it meant. When you say that Jesus is the son of God, it's, it's like saying that he is in some way equal to God. And that's why many of the religious leaders were ready to kill Jesus. Like I said, this is a very big claim. So how did Jesus respond to what Peter said? Did he say, whoa, step back, Peter. You went too far with that last part there. It's okay to call me the Messiah, but don't say that I'm equal with God in some way. Jesus didn't say that. Here's what he actually said. Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Basically, Jesus owned it. He was like, yes, Peter, you are correct. I am the Son of God, meaning I'm equal to God. So here's the deal. When Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, he was also claiming to be God the Son. You know, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons but one God. So if you look at other passages, uh, Jesus said this very clearly. For example, John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Pretty clear, isn't it? So what do we do with these big claims? Well, some people might say that right here, Jesus is being pretty arrogant. Uh, others might say he's downright crazy. And we might have to agree with those people unless his claims are true. So this is the decision in front of us, isn't it? What do you do with Jesus? Will you accept him? Will you believe these audacious claims? Or will you reject him? Last week, I challenged all of us to answer a question. Who do you say Jesus is? Exactly what he asked his disciples. And here's what's on the line. If Jesus truly is the Messiah and the Son of God, that is the single most important piece of information you will ever get in your life. Now, if Peter was wrong, Christianity is just a sham. And you might as well just live however you want to. Get by the best you can. But if Peter was right, then wow, there are all kinds of ramifications. If, if Peter was right, you don't have the luxury of saying, you know, I think Jesus was a pretty good teacher. He said some good things. He said some things I don't like. So I'll just accept the things I like and reject what rubs me the wrong way. No, if Peter was right, you don't get to do that. You don't get that option if he is the son of God. You either accept him completely, give him control of your life, or you don't accept him at all. You can try to ride the fence, but... He doesn't give you that option. It all comes down to this, really. If we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we should surrender everything else to follow him. That's the only choice that makes sense. 
But now hold on. How do you get to that place where you are 100% confident that Jesus is the Son of God? That's a very, very big question. And I can't come close to dealing with that question here this morning. But I, I can tell you this. There are very good reasons to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Even back in his own day, Jesus uh, offered some very convincing evidence to show that he was not uh, just a a regular human being. Over in John chapter 14, Jesus said, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least, believe me on the evidence of the works themselves. Now, when he says works here, he's talking about miracles. We know that Jesus was a great miracle worker, and his miracles accomplished more than one purpose. On the one hand, when Jesus healed a a blind person or a leper or someone who couldn't walk, he was sending a message. He, He was sending a message that God sees us, he loves us, cares about us, and he wants to heal our brokenness. So that's very important. But those miracles accomplished something else, too. They proved that Jesus was for real. For example, in Luke chapter 5, there's a famous miracle where this paralyzed man is brought to Jesus by some of his friends. And when Jesus saw this paralyzed man, he looked at him and he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Not stand up and walk. He didn't say that yet. He said, your sins are forgiven. And when the religious leaders heard that, they kind of freaked out. They they didn't say anything out loud, but they were thinking to themselves, who does this guy think he is? That's blasphemy. No one can forgive sins but God alone. And I love what Jesus does next. Check out Luke 5.22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately that man stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everybody else was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. And Jesus did this kind of thing over and over again. His physical miracles proved that he had spiritual authority. And of course, the greatest miracle happened when he rose from the dead. Uh, We'll talk about that more in two weeks on Easter Sunday. But the point is, Jesus gave plenty of evidence to prove that he was the Son of God and God the Son. And like I said, we can't begin to look at all of that evidence today. But I I do want to think about this category that we've already mentioned. Miracles and eyewitnesses. Jesus backed up his big claims by doing what no ordinary human could do. Uh, He he did these things in broad daylight, too. There were plenty of eyewitnesses. But you know what? Those miracles and eyewitnesses... They're not just a thing of the past, because Jesus is still performing miracles today. 
Think about this. Back in the first century, Jesus brought dead people back to life. He, he did that. But here in the 21st century, he takes people who are spiritually dead and he brings us back to life. Many of us have experienced this because we were sinners and we were separated from God. We were headed for eternity in hell. That's eternal death. But Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world on a rescue mission. It was a mission of love. And he took our place. He went to the cross and he carried our sin on his shoulders. And he made it possible for us to come home to God. To, to find forgiveness and freedom and eternal life. And when you have received that miracle... When Jesus has changed your life, you've been saved by grace through faith in him, then you become living proof that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And here at Plum Creek, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to be that proof that points other people to Jesus. And that's why... Uh, right now, our church is taking on a very important kingdom challenge. I introduced this last week. It's uh, a testimony challenge. And the idea here is very simple. If you have encountered Jesus in a life-changing way, you just sit down and write the story of what God has done in your life. It's your personal testimony. And again, why is this important? Last week I mentioned two reasons. Number one, you know people who need to hear your story if you are a follower of Jesus. And God will use your story to point others to Jesus. Here's the second reason I mentioned. When God gives you an opportunity to share that story, you want to be ready. It's helpful to think about that ahead of time. I did not mention reason number three last week, but I, I saw this when I wrote my own testimony this past Wednesday. As I thought about what God has done, the different spiritual turning points in my life, I saw there have been many of them. God has been very faithful in my life. He's, he's done a, a lot of amazing things. And it's just great to look back and see all of those things. I had trouble picking a turning point to write about. So to, to uh, take on this challenge, we set up a page on our website. It's plumcreek.org slash testimony. And that page guides you through the process of writing your story. And there's also a form where you can submit it. And over the past week, these testimonies have been coming in. And I mean, it's, it's just been a privilege to read through these. It's so encouraging and inspiring to see that God is still doing amazing things today. Now, I want to share one of those stories here today. This one is from Chris Cole, who's one of our deacons. I asked him if I could read this, and he was cool with that. So let's listen. Chris says, My turning point began when a friend from work asked me several times if I'd consider coming with her to church. I had never attended a church service and was not a spiritual person at the time. I would probably classify myself as agnostic. But one Sunday, I finally agreed to come to church with her. Now, before that Sunday, my life was okay. I was in my mid-30s, single, had a good career, 
I had a strong family and a small group of really great friends. Like everyone else, I certainly had my problems. In addition to some health issues, I suffered from depression and felt very isolated at times. Living alone for 20 plus years can do that to anyone. And while I would consider myself to have been a good person, one who tried to help others and make good decisions, I was also rudderless. I had no real sense of purpose. So I chased the things I felt like I was expected to go after. Money, success, popularity. When I finally agreed to go to church with that friend of mine, everything changed. For the first time in my life, I began to really learn about who Jesus is and why he is so important. I knew of Jesus before that day, but I definitely didn't know him. Halfway through that first worship set, I was crying. I had no idea why. After that day, I started reading a Bible. A Bible that same work friend had given me weeks earlier. I also started praying. It was awkward and clumsy at first, but I found myself praying more and more. And as I learned more about God through prayer, reading scripture, and talking to other Christians, my life began to change. At first, it was small stuff, but then it grew. I got baptized. I married that friend who had asked me to come to church. I started serving on the worship tech team at Plum Creek, and eventually, I even became a deacon. My prayer life became more robust, and I found myself making more sacrifices. Before finding Jesus, I tried to do the right thing, but, but I typically only did that if it didn't involve any real sacrifice on my part. If doing right was easy, I was all about doing right. But when doing right was hard, I tended to find excuses. Now, I try to do right because it's right, period. I don't always succeed, but I always try. Finding Jesus gave me purpose. Most of the problems I had before are still there. My health is still a challenge. I still get depressed for no reason. And I still come up short way more often than I'd like. But now I have a set of core values that guide me through good times and bad. And I have an enduring faith that makes me stronger every day. There are several things I love about Chris's story. For one thing, it's very real. Because Jesus will change your life, no doubt about that. But that does not mean all your problems go away. It does mean that he will be with you as you go through those problems. He'll be with you every step of the way. He'll get you through it. Another thing I love about Chris's story is how God used his friend from work, also known as his wife, Megan. And in so many of these stories... There is some follower of Jesus who reaches out in a simple way. Uh, maybe it's a, an act of kindness or friendship. Uh, maybe it's an invitation to church. Uh, maybe it's just being there and supporting someone when they're going through a difficult time. And yes, sometimes it's someone telling the story of what God has done in their life. So that's why we're doing this testimony challenge as a church. We, we know that God wants to partner with us to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we want to play our part. So if you have not yet turned in your testimony, I hope you will. 
And you've got one week to do that. Next Sunday is the deadline. And I know it, it can take a while to think through this and pray through this and write it down. But it, it is, it's such a valuable thing to do. But this challenge is not the only thing we're doing right now. Last week I said in the weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to be doing three things. First is this testimony challenge, uh, being ready to tell the story of what God has done. But second, we're going to think of people we know who need Jesus. And we're going to invite those people to join us on Easter Sunday, two weeks from today. You got an invite card in your bulletin this morning. If you did not get one of those or you need multiple cards, uh, you can pick one up on the table in the back of the room here or just outside the doors in the gathering area. So uh, that's the second thing we're going to do. But then there's, there's one more. We're going to pray. And actually, this is where we have to start. Prayer is, is what we have to do before anything else. So here's the plan. In your bulletin this morning, uh, in addition to the invite card, you also have a yellow sheet of paper. And hopefully you also have a pen. If you didn't get one, uh, pens are also on the table back there or just outside. But we're going to take a few moments here and we're going to think of some names. We've done this before. The band is going to come down and play and uh, I'm, I'm asking you to just ask God to put some names on your heart. People who need help right now, maybe going through a difficult time, but especially people who need Jesus. And then over the next few minutes, write down those names on this little sheet here. And then as the band plays, you take that sheet, roll it up, and bring it over to the prayer wall. We've, we've brought this back today. Now, you will be praying for these people, of course, but we want to pray along with you. And some of us will take those names and we'll pray for them during the week. But we also have an opportunity coming up where we can come together as a church and pray together. This opportunity, is, it's going to be something special. On the evening of Good Friday, two days before Easter, uh, we are going to have a prayer and worship night right here in this room. At the beginning of this year, we said that uh, here at Plum Creek in 2023, we're going to make prayer a priority. Uh, many of you participated in the 24-hour prayer event back in January. We, we literally had people here all night long. And if you were a part of that, you know it was an amazing thing. And I truly believe our church was different after that 24 hours. Now this prayer and worship night, it's, it's going to be similar to that event in January, but also a little different. Uh, we're going to open up this room from 6 to 10 p.m. Uh, there's no need to sign up. You can just come and go as you please. And we'll have stations around the room that give you specific things to pray about. Uh, the prayer wall will be one of those stations. But then, every hour on the hour, someone will come up here and just lead a couple songs of worship. And this is not going to be a full band here, just simple, heartfelt worship. And then for the rest of the hour, we'll just be praying. We're going to be bringing requests to God, praising Him. We're going to thank Jesus for what He did on the cross. This is Good Friday. And we're also going to ask God to help us 
bring glory to him and lead others to Jesus. So I hope you'll make it a priority to be here on Good Friday for part of that time. But I also hope you'll be praying right now. Let's think about those names. Who, who is it that God puts on your heart? Write down those names as the band plays and bring them down to the prayer wall. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for writing our story. When, when we allow you to work in our lives, you, you write an amazing story that leads straight to you through Jesus. So God, I pray right now that you would bring those people to mind who need you in one way or another. And for all of us who have been blessed because of a relationship with Jesus, I pray that you would use us to be a blessing to others as well. So Lord, I, I just give this time over to you in Jesus' name.